The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hey guys, and welcome to your favorite open-minded talk show. I got a really good one for you guys today, but before we can get into that, we got to knock out this front of house stuff real quick. So if you guys don't mind reviewing or sharing the show, it's always appreciated or give it a good review and I would be more than happy to share it on the show. If you guys aren't already following on social media for updates on the show and anything else cool going on, definitely go and check that out. Uh, I do also have a Telegram and Discord set up so that you guys can have some awesome conversations with some awesome people, uh, me included, of course. And uh, if you guys are interested in being a guest on the show, if you're an author, researcher, experiencer, I would love to talk to you guys on the show. Or if you guys just like to get into some really in-depth theories, I would love to have you on the show for an awesome conversation. Uh, If you guys want to get a hold of me, the best way to do so is through Instagram. That's probably the place where I'm the most active. Uh, You can also shoot me an email at increaseofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. Uh, If you guys want to check out some more awesome stuff I do, you guys can go and check out Bizarre Encounters, which is with my two awesome co-hosts, Oren and Jenny. Uh, You can also check out Open Minds Media to get updates on any other new things that I may be adding because I'm always adding new shows and new things that I'm always trying to do. Uh, If you guys want to support the show, you can do so through Patreon. There you'll get early access to shows, you'll get live access to shows, and something new that I've been doing is the live replay, where if you can't make it to the live of a show, uh, hopefully the night of, I will have it up as a live replay, and then you can uh, watch the live. Uh, Another way that you guys can support the show is through donating on Red Circle, Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal. All of those links available down at the bottom. Uh, If you guys want to get yourself some awesome merch for this show, Bizarre Encounters, any of the shows I do, you guys can go and check out the Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, If you guys want to get some more awesome cryptid alien paranormal merch, go and check out Crypto Theology. Joe's always killing it over there, always adding more and more designs. Uh, there, I can't help myself, man. I've bought way too damn many of those shirts, and I'm sure I'll be buying even more in the future. So if you guys haven't already seen those shirts, go and check out the Instagram. I'm always posting myself wearing those shirts because I love them so much. Uh, everything that I've mentioned, all available under the link tree, so go and check that out. I'm not going to sit here and spat it out to you in the beginning of the show. I will do that at the end. So if you guys want to check any of that stuff out, go to the show description and click the links. But with that, please welcome to the show, Betsy Kolakowski. How's it going today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for uh, making the time to come on the show. I was really looking forward to this conversation after hearing you on a couple other podcasts, actually. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. I always hear some awesome conversation. I want to uh, have the people on so I can have some awesome conversation myself. So Sounds like a good plan. I enjoy that too. But uh, I guess to get rolling and everything, so for anybody that isn't familiar with who you are or what you do, uh, why don't you kind of give them an idea about uh, your books, who you are, and kind of what got you rolling as far as writing goes. All right. Well, I'm Betsy Kolakowski. I'm the author of the Veritas Codex series. It's a paranormal thriller series that features Dr. Lauren Grayson, who's a biological anthropologist, and she has a television show. And they go on the search for the answers to the world's greatest mysteries. So uh, is it aliens? Is it Bigfoot? You know, they're always looking to find out, you know, what's out there and what the truth is. 
what uh what inspired you to start writing this book um i i very clearly remember the night the idea came to me it was like two three o'clock in the morning and i had some some tv show either the discovery channel travel channel one of those and they were they were out looking for all these mysteries and you know we we're four or five seasons into it and they never found anything and i'm like why would they you know go through all this and do this show and never find anything and then i thought well what if they found something, but it was a truth that they couldn't tell? And that became the nexus for the whole book series. So, assumably, uh, because you're into stuff like that, were you uh, one of those people that was kind of into, like, conspiracies and things like that? Or is it more so, like, uh, like hidden mysteries that were, like, ancient mysteries kind of hidden? I can't really say that I'm really into the conspiracies because I'm really more into... I, I like the monster stories, and I like the lost treasures, and I like... You know, are aliens real? You know, what else is out there in our world that we just don't understand? So for me, it really kind of started with Bigfoot. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. We lived there for a very brief period of time. I think I was two or three years old. And I just remember that was the first real monster story that I ever heard. So I've always been fascinated with Bigfoot. And growing up, he was on The Six Million Dollar Man, and we had TV shows like In Search Of and Ripley's Believe It or Not. So it was just really always something that was there, and it was always something that I was interested in. So I just really kind of gravitate towards that sort of thing. Did you ever end up having any uh, weird experiences yourself that may have been Squatch-related? Um, not until I was much older. Uh, just recently, my husband and I went uh, down to southeastern Oklahoma. We have an area uh, called uh, Hochitown. And it's kind of in a swamp. It's real mountainous. It's very uh, dense with forest and trees. And while we're sitting around the campfire, I can hear this unusual sound in the background that I cannot identify. Um, doesn't sound like a coyote. It's not an elk. Uh, and I have a friend that is a researcher for uh, Bigfoot in a little town called Hanobia, where they do an annual Bigfoot festival. And I sent that video to him and he listened to it. He goes, yep, that sounds like what we've been looking at. <laughs> So I have to think, I, did I hear it? I'm still not sure, but I'm very interested to go back and do some more research. Have you uh, had any more opportunities to uh, go and check out any other areas that you may have uh, researched some stories from? I have. I've been to uh, uh, Mount St. Helens about a year ago. We went up and did some hiking up there. Oh, were you talking uh, about uh, Ape Veritas Canyon? Yes, we went around to Ape Canyon. We were up, uh, you know, kind of all over the area. We tried to spend a couple of days up there. And uh, that's where the Veritas Codex is set. They're on the hunt for, for Bigfoot at Mount St. Helens. And so I was really kind of, you know, just checking, you know, how did I do in the book? You know, what could I have done differently? Because um, I hadn't had a chance to go before uh, the book got published. And uh, about three days after we left, there was an article in the newspaper where somebody had found a print in one of the areas that we had hiked. Ooh. And so we missed it by that much. <laughs> What uh what what sparked your interest in that area more so was it the whole like bat bat squatch idea or was it more so like the uh, ape canyon encounters? It was totally the ape canyon encounters. I had heard all about those. I I've been doing some research and looking at you know everything I could get my hands on with that area because I I've always loved the Pacific Northwest. I miss you know being there. I loved it living there when I was a kid, even though I was really young young when I was there. So I'd always wanted to go back. And so I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to write about a place that I love, I think that's where I'm going to start is with with the, the whole Mount St. Helens and, and the Bigfoot and Ape Canyon. And so a lot of the book happens in those areas and are based on some of the stories that we've heard over the years. 
So as far as like the actual like cabin goes, um, I know that a lot of people say it was lost after the eruptions and stuff, but did you end up having kind of an idea of where the cabin was at? Did you check out the cabin? And is some of your story inspired by the exact like um, encounter that happened at the cabin with uh, the eight men throwing the rocks at the cabin? Um, that specific site wasn't really part of the book, but I did uh, do some research on that. And I've seen some of the videos where they've gone down looking for what was left of the cabin. Um, <clears throat> for me, it was just the whole idea of, of Bigfoot in the caves and, you know, there's lava tubes under there and there's got to be miles and miles of caves that we have not seen, people have not explored. So for me, caves kind of play an important role in the books. And so that was really what I was really more interested in was the caves. Did you uh, end up ever doing any research as far as like the missing skier went? Because there's, uh, I'm sure that there's some theories about him possibly going missing into one of these caves and possibly encountering one of the ape men. But there was one of the, the straight dive that went down one side of a mountain that most experienced skiers were saying that nobody would have tried to do unless they were being chased by something. But I always found that story super interesting. Yes, I've always liked that story myself. It really doesn't play a part in my book, but I had heard that one and I've read that before. So, uh, also going into some more experiences too, um, I was looking into some of your stuff that you had, it was a little bit earlier than your, than your main series. And mm -hmm. I saw that you were doing a little bit with like some paranormal stories or collaboration with some paranormal stories. So actually I did, uh, I did a couple of anthologies. Um, I did a horror anthology in October of last year that was, uh, a number of, uh, para paranormal and horror authors came together and we did it to raise money to fight human trafficking. And my story there has a paranormal element too. There's a little Bigfoot, there's a little aliens. It's completely different characters in a different universe, a different world. It's our world, but it's a different version of it. So that one was a lot of fun because I don't usually write short stories. I don't have a gift for brevity. <laughs> so it's a little harder for me to write something short. I, I, I'm much more happy when I get to write, you know, the epic novel. I guess without giving away too much of that story so that people go and read it, uh, why don't you kind of give them a rough idea about exactly what it's about? So it is about, um, there is a, a Girl Scout camp where some of the Girl Scouts have gone missing. And uh, 35 years ago, one of the detectives' sister was one of those girls who went missing, but she returned. And she was never able to tell anybody what happened to her because she didn't remember. And now 35 years later, there have been boys murdered and girl scouts have gone missing again. So our detective has to go in and find what happened to the girl scouts. So is it kind of like a, like a missing time, like abduction part of it where there's certain memories missing and they kind of had to get them back through, uh, I guess you could always do like, what's it called exactly? Um, memory regression. Yeah. So very similar to that. Very much so. So at least from like the stuff that you've been into, uh, I always like to ask this because I'm always super curious. Um, it seems to be a common factor in one of your stories, but do you yourself believe that like Sasquatch and like alien type of scenario abduction UFOs are all kind of related? Um, yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Very much so. I believe that this world is huge and there's just no way that we have found everything that's living on our planet. Um, we didn't know that apes were real until the early 1900s. Um, we have yet to prove that we are alone in the universe. You know, Fermi's paradox kind of makes that hard to prove that we're wrong. Um, but as big as this universe is, I think it's very vain of us to think that we're alone. So I, uh, I really enjoy the concept of, you know, are we alone in the universe? Are aliens trying to contact us? Um, 
you know, if they're looking for intelligent life, I don't know if they want to come here, but <laughs> you know, it's just, I just think it's really interesting. And so I'm, I kind of gravitate to, you know, I like to be curious. And I think that's one of the things that um, my readers will find is that I really encourage that curiosity. Uh, so I, you know, I gravitate towards anything that I'm curious about. See, I always like to uh, expand on theories and just kind of like let my mind wander and kind of go into what it wants to go into. And as far as like the yep. connection between Sasquatch and UFOs, uh, my belief as far as that is that, you know, just like anything that we're interested in, and it's a weird anomaly, like Sasquatch, for example, mm-hmm. like why wouldn't something else be interested in it too? Especially if they're exactly. doing something like coming here and checking us out theoretically, um, even from like the aspect of, you know, how we would tag things and check things out in nature and just kind of make sure everything's functioning and working properly. But if there's some kind of like weird anomaly that was happening in nature that they couldn't quite explain, which maybe Bigfoot is one of those things that it was just the right place at the right time, something evolved and it expanded and it was something that was never intended to be, you know, that would spark the interest in that. And if it's a very hard thing to find, um, maybe more often than not, when people do see a Sasquatch, there's also aliens that are also trying to keep an eye on that Sasquatch and I don't want to use the term poach, but you know, kind of hover above it and kind of mm-hmm. keep an eye on what it's doing out of curiosity for why it's there and what it's doing, especially exactly. if the interdimensional factor comes into play too. Yeah, very much so. It's almost like you've read my book. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I always like to get into paranormal stuff. And uh, more often mm-hmm. than not, I feel like everybody has some paranormal stories. So at least in your lifetime, have you ever had mm-hmm. any uh, strange paranormal stories yourself? Ooh, I've got a couple of them. Um, I consider myself to be rather storm sensitive. Uh, of course, living in Oklahoma, you know, we're, we're you know, the storm central, you know, tornado belt uh, here in Tornado Alley. So I've had a couple of instances where I had a very vivid dream about a storm before it happened. Uh, The May 3rd tornado is pretty famous here in Oklahoma because it's the largest tornado ever recorded based on wind speed. Um, Unfortunately, a number of people were killed when it came through Oklahoma City. Um, But I actually had a dream about it the night before, told my mom the whole dream in, in every detail. And then we sat and watched it basically happen exactly the way I dreamed it. Ooh, that sounds like a, yeah. almost like a premonition more so than anything. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I've done that a couple of times. Um, I've done some ghost hunting. I've done some investigations at uh, um, old, uh, there's an old Indian fort here called Fort Reno that is now a USDA center, but they go in and they do, they do like, uh, uh, you would call it ghost investigation. They have some of the paranormal teams come out and the public can come and observe And my mother and I used to volunteer out there just to kind of keep people from going where they weren't supposed to. And there's a house there called the Old Victorian, which was built, you know, turn of the century. And I went around before the sun went down and took pictures in all the windows because they didn't allow us to go in because it was under renovation. And afterwards, when it got dark and we're we're out there with the teams, I started taking pictures in one of the windows and there is very clearly a face in the window, you know, hand up, you can see the outlines of the eyes, you can see the beard, um, you know, kind of like somebody looking at going, what are y'all doing out here? Cause this <laughs> is my house and you don't belong here. Um, and then my mother and I were out there one day, you know, walking around that same house and the third story window fell out of the window frame and missed my mother by inches. Whew. So uh, apparently he didn't like us being there. 
So that was uh, one of those things I really can't explain. I find it very interesting and I, I want to go back and do some more investigations. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to, but um, that's been on my bucket list for a while is to go back out there. Are you a part of a paranormal investigation team or are you just kind of do it yourself? Just kind of uh, follow along when I can find one, I'll tag along. And if I can't find one, then I'll just kind of go out and do it myself. I'm actually a trained investigator. I'm uh, a retired safety inspector. I used to work for the state and I'd go out and do safety inspections. So I've been trained to be an investigator. And so I, uh, I, I'm always looking for, you know, that scientific methodology to find, you know, collect evidence, analyze the evidence and then come to a conclusion. Uh, so I'm assuming from doing that yourself too, you've probably seen a lot of locations that are were haunted before you investigated them mm-hmm. and places that became haunted after something happened there. So exactly. that being said, what, what are some of uh, the experiences that you've dealt with as far as like your, your work and your job is concerned? Right. Well, I also have a degree in emergency management and I've been involved in investi- in the responses at the Murrah bombing here in Oklahoma City. I went to the World Trade Center and worked at that site for 16 days, worked at Hurricane Katrina for 16 days, and then tornadoes here. But I've also gone out and done building inspections. Um, There was a church that we did an inspection in here in Oklahoma City that they had to take the asbestos out before they could demolish the building. And unfortunately, somebody had been murdered in that building. And um, that was one of the most uncomfortable inspections I had done because it, it was one of those that you knew that there was something there. You could feel it. You could sense it. Um, it didn't help any that the, the blood was still, you know, where it had spilled out on, from that person. There was a lot of it. So it was one of those that I walked away from that just shook. I was like, I, I, I couldn't explain it. Was it one of those scenarios where it happened and then afterwards they did the inspection or was it something that had been there for a long time and they just never cleaned yeah. up the blood? It wasn't that old because the blood wasn't fully dry. Ooh, wow. That's even scarier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was something recent. So the, 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 the tension and the sense of violence in that was just very strong. And of course, we you know, had biohazard procedures. We had to work around it. We couldn't go anywhere near it um, you know, just to protect ourselves because that's always your first mission when you're out doing safety inspections is you protect yourself first. Then you take care of everybody else. It's kind of a weird question, but as far as like doing that line of work, uh, is that one of those lines that everybody is kind of in tune with the paranormal and kind of has an understanding about like certain locations kind of have like a weird thing about it? Or is it only like a certain people kind of feel that way and then the rest just kind of go into a location and don't really think twice about it? Uh, You know, I think it's just some people. And I know that I have worked with other folks that did the same kind of work that I did that never picked up on stuff like that. Uh, For me, one of the most interesting places I went when we were doing the Hurricane Katrina response was the old charity hospital, which is down kind of by the Superdome. And it had been uh, occupied during the storm for about 10 days before they were able to evacuate everybody out of there. And the first two stories had flooded and unfortunately people had passed away while they were waiting to be rescued. Um, You know, they had to make do with what they had for 10 days, no heat, no air, no air conditioning. You know, the people who were on life support had to be manually Uh, maintained because they didn't have any emergency backup generator or anything. So it was one of those that you knew, of course, that building was really old anyway. It was built in like originally started in like 1736 as the oldest public hospital in North America. And they had, um, they had a history to start with. And it was one of those places that was prone to violence. 
it was prone to suffering. Uh, you know, it was a hospital where people died and, um, You'd see things out of the corner of your eye. Of course, it's dark. You know, we're in a full respirator. We've got on Tyvek suits. It's 107 degrees with about 90% humidity. So it's hot. There's no air conditioning, no lights, no elevator. It's 27 stories tall. So we walked almost every inch of that hospital. And it was just one of those experiences. Even my partner had to admit that she, she felt uncomfortable in there and couldn't explain why. That's like layers and layers and layers of residual haunting. Um, I don't know exactly. if you get into all that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. like at least as far as that stuff goes, most of the time I feel like when there's like a location, there's like one specific event that happened and that's kind of like what recycles and plays through. Mm-hmm. But when there's that much history behind a place, I feel like there's multiple layers of that. And if you're somebody that's in tune with the paranormal, you might even notice like uh, different eras of clothing, for example, of different mm-hmm. groups of people going through this hospital. But... Yeah, I never saw anything directly. It was always that something moving out of the corner of your eye that caught my attention. And again, I'm in a respirator like this. So, you know, I'm, you know, looking at it like it's like wearing a diving mask. So, you know, you see things out of the corner of your eye and you hear things and you know that you're the only two people in this building. Very, very disconcerting. Oh, yeah. Have you ever uh, had anything where you could like you physically saw anything or anything actually like touched you while you're doing anything like this? Oh my gosh, touch me for sure. Again, for Reno, back when they would let us go in the buildings, we were in the attic of the old Victorian and that's where the children used to play. And the kids, I swear it was the kids grabbing my pant leg and tugging on me or running their hand up my leg. And, you know, that feeling, you know, you think, is that a spider? Is it, you know, is there a snake climbing up my leg? And then you think, oh no, wait, that's, you know, the kids are, and then you can see all the lights going off on some of the meters that we had. Uh, about the same time. So, you know, we're starting to think it's, it's the kids. Do you, uh, when you do stuff, when you do your actual like investigations at locations Mm -hmm. like this, uh, do you try to do it like while you're working or do you like get permission to go back sometimes after you're done working or you can actually do like a full on investigation without trying to physically be doing their, doing your job while you're there? (laughs) Yeah. It's always after hours. I never do that while I'm on the job. I'm always focused on on taking care of work and getting that done first. And if there's something that makes me curious, then I, then I will make every effort to try to come back. If it's something I have to get permission for, um, or if I have to come with another group, or if it's a time that's open to the public later, then yeah, I'll come back later. Um, aside from like helping with all the disasters and things, uh, what are some of like the really interesting places that you've gotten a chance to explore yourself that's maybe not related to that? Um, haunted hotels are kind of a thing for me. I like going to stay at the haunted hotels. The seal dock in uh, Louisville, Kentucky uh, is very interesting. Um, one of those, you know, you can kind of hear things and you kind of sense things, but you never really see anything. At least that was my experience. Um, there was a hotel in Durango, Colorado that we stayed at that uh, every room had a little journal that people could write their ghost experiences in. And so I got to go back and read all the ghost stories there. But unfortunately, I didn't have any kind of an experience. I think they were like, we don't want to be in your book. We're not going to we're not going to come see you. <laughs> um, I, uh, I have always wanted to go to the Stanley Hotel and I have gone as far as the parking lot. I stood in the parking lot and I looked into the building and I couldn't go in. And I still don't know why. Have you heard all the stories about Stephen King staying there where he yes, was supposed to be only him and the guy who was running the hotel and he mm-hmm. went in, did everything and he was like, wait, there's more people here. What are you talking about? And there's like, there's no other guests here. They're not what you think they are. They're permanent guests. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I've heard all the stories, but I don't, I don't know what it is. I've just, I've gotten as far as the parking lot twice and just 
couldn't bring myself to go in. I have, however, uh, plans for a, an episode or a book of the Veritas Codex where they will go to the Stanley Hotel. So I'm going to have to bite the bullet and get past that fear and just go in and check it out. Cross your fingers that either it'll be a good thing or a bad thing if you can actually write about your own experiences, depending on the way you look exactly. at it, I guess. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I always like to have materials for a book, but uh, I'm very creative and I have a good imagination. I can certainly come up without uh, having to go in and see it for myself. <laughs> so uh, as far as other locations that you're really interested in exploring, um, I'm assuming that you're probably interested in like ancient history too, because I've seen a couple of the really cool locations that you've mm-hmm. gotten to check out on your Instagram. Uh, yeah. What are some of the stories behind those places? Oh, well, uh, my, my, my path to publication kind of is going to take this. I'm going to take you on a story. I'm going to tell you one that's going to kind of lead around to the answer on that one. My path to publication, I started writing this book series in 2009. And I wrote the first book for practice. And I really, I was just really telling the story to myself because it was a story that I didn't think anybody would ever read. I was really afraid of what people would think because, you you know, you write books about Bigfoot. You know, you worry about what people are going to think. And, you know, people aren't always accepting. And I just really didn't want to be labeled as strange or anything like that. So I thought, well, nobody will ever read it. So I wrote it and I put it, you know, made it as outlandish as I wanted it to be. I told the story I wanted to tell and I enjoyed it. And I thought, well, you know, that went really well. So I'm going to write another book. And so the second book dealt with the Mayan apocalypse. And it was right about 2012 when I was writing it. Um, So my characters go down to Chichen Itza in Mexico, which is in the Yucatan Peninsula. And it's an ancient Mayan site. It's one of the most famous in the world. You've probably seen pictures of it if you've ever Googled it on the internet. And I came up with this mythical legend about the, the goddess who fell from the sky and it gets into time travel and this ancient Mayan history. And so, um, when I was pitching the book to my future publisher, um, after I'd already written like four more books, um, and I was trying to get my courage up, we went on a, a writing cruise, which was in 2020, February of 2020, <laughs> which is a story in itself. Um, one of the excursions that we went on was to Chichen Itza. And the whole time, I'm just taking copious notes. I'm thinking, okay, I got to fix this. And uh, I didn't think about tourists and what are we going to do about them? And, and oh, you know, they've walked all the grass off. It's not green like I thought it would be um, because there's so much pedestrian traffic that, you know, there's just no green grass left around there. And there were wild dogs running everywhere. And there's all these things I wanted to add to it. And so I'm taking notes. And, and the gentleman who was my became my publisher was with us that day. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, and then my characters did this and we came here and we saw this and I got to fix that. You know, I'm taking notes the whole day. And I don't know if that's what got me my publishing contract, but um, book two is set at Chichen Itza because I got to go there with my publisher, my future publisher and uh, and actually see some of those ancient sites and got to go to, you know, the Temple of the Rain God and um, just all those really cool sites around Chichen Itza that I'm actually getting ready to go back on the Writer Con cruise part two uh, in April. That's uh, super cool, actually, that you actually get to experience these places before you write about them. Because honestly, I feel mm-hmm. like just like most things, it's kind of hard to write about something unless it's something that you kind of have an idea of that you do yourself. So I'm, right. I'm honestly pretty jealous because I've never gotten to see any of these sites myself, but I'm hoping I get to one day. Exactly. And one of the things I do, if it's a place I've never gotten to go to, I do a lot of research and I will get on Google Earth and I will pan around Drop that little pin so you get that personal 360 view. 
And so I, I will always do that kind of research if it's someplace I haven't been. But ideally, I want to go there before I write about it, or at least before I publish it, because I can always go back in and edit it if I didn't get it right. True. I mean, so going to those locations too, one thing that I've never really gotten to fully see myself, but I've seen pictures on the internet, of course, but does it really look like there's there was multiple layers of people that actually built the things? Because I'm kind of in the belief mm-hmm. that a lot of the people that we imagine that built these things aren't actually the mm-hmm. people that built these things. And I'm not necessarily mm-hmm. saying that they're extraterrestrials, but I definitely think right. that there was some type of people that are around before that. Yes. And, and that's kind of one of the themes in the whole book series that, you know, the world is remade often. And at Chichen Itza, there's actually two more pyramids inside on top of a cenote, which is a big underground chasm where water collects, which is kind of what the word um, cenote means. It means, you know, a well. And that's the only fresh source of water that they have in the region is, is underground rivers in the cenotes. So, yeah, I totally am with you on that. So I also uh, kind of heard you make reference to like the different gods and everything like that too. Um, so as far as like things like that go, uh, I know that you're into like the alien type of concepts too. Uh, do you mm-hmm. think that a lot of these things that they perceived as gods may have been some type of like extraterrestrial race? I think that the ancient alien theory is very, or the alien, the ancient astronaut theory is very compelling because, you know, <clears throat> there is enough evidence in the world's records from drawings, from ancient writings to suggest that there was a time when we walked among the gods and the gods walked among us. So I think it's very compelling and very interesting. And it's something that plays very heavily in my books. So uh, as far as it goes in in your second books, do you more Mm -hmm. so kind of relate to the fact of it being like extraterrestrial or do you think of it more so as being like predecessor humans that may have had like uh, special abilities that we not may not be aware of that we have or that we kind of lost along the way? Oh, I come out and say it's it's ancient aliens. I mean, I just <laughs> in all the books we get into, um, you know, gods as as aliens. You know, the words can be interchangeable um, if you look at some of these old theories that we're that we're talking about. And so, in the Sumerian legends, there were the two hero gods. There was Enlil and Enki, and those could be compared to Jesus and Lucifer. You know, very loosely. Um, and they serve the all-god Anu, which when we get into some of the later books, uh, we just have those characters in the books. Oh, even better. Just all out. <laughs> just put it out there. I'm, I'm not shy. I, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy the way you write, because at least one way that you can kind of do it, you said you're a little bit uh, scared to, po- to put out certain things, but at least if you mm-hmm. do it as fiction, I feel like you kind of get away with it a little bit more as far as like people that aren't into those concepts go, where you'll spark the interest, of course, of the people that are into all of these uh, mm-hmm. different concepts, but you'll also still catch the interest of people that may not believe in them just because you kind of put it as fiction, even though you have a lot of truth elements to the book, of course. Exactly. Um, Somebody had, I I read one of my reviews where somebody said, well, I didn't really like this book. It had a trope that I didn't like and some of it was wrong. And I'm like, it's fiction. I made it all up. How can you tell me it's wrong? I just take the base of the story that I want to use. And then from there, I can do whatever I want with it. Yeah. And I do so much research that I know when I'm blurring the lines, I'm doing it on purpose. So uh, we've been kind of moving along your books, kind of giving people a rough idea about what they're about and what's going on with Mm -hmm. them. Uh, What's kind of like the overall principle and idea for the third book? So the third book is called The Alien Accord. The the first book is The Veritas Codex, and the second one is The Jaguar Queen. The third book is The Alien Accord, and Lauren has a brother who is a um, radio telescope engineer working for NASA, and he's got, um, he's always kind of been her 
the thorn in her side, kind of the bane of her existence, because he's always teased her that he would find aliens before she did. And uh, about the time the book begins, one of his colleagues is murdered. And they're starting to find these unusual signals from outer space that are believed to be extraterrestrial. And so her brother needs her to help him, but he'd rather face the KGB down than go talk to his sister who they've been estranged for many years. And so he needs her help to, to, to find the answer to these unusual um, signals that they're hearing from outer space. And they've got to hurry because, you know, somebody's after them and they're going to try to put a stop to their research. So that's the alien accord. That's book three. I'm assuming that that's uh, inspired by the random radio transmissions that we've gotten that we still aren't able to fully figure out what they're about now. Exactly. FRBs play very, very highly fast radio burst. So uh, as far as the fourth book goes then, because (laughs) you might as well just kind of give everybody a rough idea to kind of get them super excited so that they want to run through the books, but not too much, of course, because you want them to actually read it, of course. (laughs) Exactly. Well, the fourth book is the Monk's Monks Grimoire. And I actually wrote that one out of order. Uh, I had the publishing contract. And when we were trying to come up with the title for the first book, you know, we're throwing out, we wanted Codex in there because it was, you know, a book. That's the Latin word for book. Um, and then Veritas became, you know, the, the word to go with it because that means truth. So it literally means the truth book. So my publisher said, wouldn't it be awesome if we, like every book could have codex in the title? And I'm like, okay, I got to figure out how to do that. But if we're going to do that, then I have to write about the devil's codex, which is a real book. And it was in legend, it was written by a monk who was threatened, you know, scheduled to be walled alive because he had sinned against the church And so he literally sold his soul to the devil to be able to finish this book in one night. It was going to contain every bit of literature up to that point in history. And then he drew this one page that had this horrific, horrible looking demon in it that was supposed to be the devil. And that was his, you know, kind of his homage to the devil uh, to recognize him and thank him for his help to get this book finished in one night. That's the legend. And in my story, there are pages of the Devil's Codex that are missing, and there are pages that are missing. Um, And they find one at a museum in Prague that has Lauren's name inscribed in the page. And so she's called in to come and help find out what this page is, to validate it, to find out why her name is in it. Uh, And it looks to be authentic, genuine, to the era, and she's got to find these missing pages before the devil does, or there will be hell to pay. In the actual, uh, not in the actual story, but the actual like mm-hmm. thing in real life, were these pages ever mm-hmm. actually found, or are they still missing? There are still pages that we do not know where they are. It almost sounds like the, a real-life treasure hunt. <laughs> yeah, and the book is uh, actually in the uh, museum in Sweden, the real book. So I always ask, because I'm always really curious as far as like writers mm-hmm. go, did you label any of the characters in the book after yourself? You know, Lauren has got some elements of me, but she doesn't look anything like me. Uh, but she's very much a scientist. Um, her her favorite quote is, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Uh, and she's always looking for the truth, but she's open to all possibilities. So I also, too, because I'm always, again, curious what inspires writers to kind of get down the road and mm-hmm. what they're doing. Uh, what were some of the, like, the books and stories that you read as a kid that inspired you the most? Oh, my gosh. Um, the books that I read growing up, 
that inspired me to become a writer, probably the biggest one would be Where the Red Fern Grows, which really has nothing to do with the paranormal. Um, but it really was the where I kind of found out what a writer's voice should sound like because the, the author wrote about his life growing up in, in southeastern Oklahoma. And I just always gravitated to that book. And I love that book. But to this day, I can't read the end of it because it's just too sad because the dog dies. And, oh, it's so sad. I just I can't, got some I can't movies like it. that. I skip over I the end of them. I can't take it. I can't <laughs> take it when the dog dies. So, you know, that was that was probably one of the most inspiring books to me as a, as a young person. Um, but I started writing poetry when I was very young. I think I wrote my first poem when I was seven. But it was about the Loud Nest Monster because I liked that kind of stuff even when I was little. I uh, actually myself before I started my podcasting and everything I was an avid poet or uh, poet and I used to like writing a lot. Uh, as far as poetry goes, who are some of your favorite uh, poets? Oh, Robert Frost, right, my first one. I love Robert Frost. Um, who else do I love? Um, you know, I like the I like the British lit. I was really fortunate, and, and and most people would think that this isn't really all that fortunate. But for me, I thought it was really fortunate was I moved between my junior and senior year. I moved from Tulsa to Oklahoma City. And in Tulsa, you did your British Lit in your junior year. And in Oklahoma City, you did it in your senior year. So I had two years of British Lit. I never got American literature, but I got British Lit. So, you know, all of the all of the British Lit is what I love. I love Shakespeare. I love uh, T.S. Eliot. I love, you know, anything that's British Lit, I'm, I'm into. Um, because that's what I got the most education. In. <laughs> Say, I actually had something like that happen with me with schooling where I ended up reading, uh, the crucible and doing American mm-hmm. lit two years in a row. So because of that, kind of like what you're saying with the British lit, I became a big fan of, uh, Edgar Allan Poe and like a little oh, bit of like yeah. the darker American writers. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, as far as like uh, pop culture goes, because you said that you were uh, really into the monster stuff, what were some of like Mm -hmm. the monster movies or monster film that inspired you the most? Okay, so I don't know if anybody remembers it. This is probably one of the worst B movies there ever was, but it used to play it on the on the Friday Night Creature feature here uh, in Oklahoma when I was a little kid. There was a movie called Gargoyles. I think I've heard of that. Actually, I love love the B class. Yeah, I think you can still go to YouTube and probably find it somewhere. But it is one of those that. The costumes were lame. The writing was mediocre. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. It was a B movie. It was what it was. Um, but the storyline was that there were there were gargoyles who had laid their nest of eggs, and every I can't remember if it was every century or every millennium or whatever those eggs would hatch, and we were coming upon a time when the eggs were going to hatch, and. Uh, uh, an archaeologist and his daughter were in New Mexico and found the nest of the eggs and. Um, what I remember the most distinctly about that was the introduction because it had a long narrative where they, they put the words up on the screen, kind of like Star Wars. And then the, the narrator had this Vincent Price style when he read it and creeped me out as a little kid. I mean, creeped out. So I, you know, that was the best, you know, creature feature I could think of. I love the mummy. I love Bella Lugosi. I like Dracula you know, all the classics, but that one was kind of a little off the mainstream. And it just was one of those that just, it's, it grabbed me. And I I still remember it to this day. There's something just different about like the B-class horror, in my opinion. I've always been a big fan of it just because 
like nowadays everything's CGI, everything's digital. Mm-hmm. I appreciate when people actually had to take the time to like make costumes and make effects yeah. and actually like physically do stuff. And I mean, just because of that and it actually being like something that they're physically filming, it just brought mm-hmm. a different like horror element into it. So oh, yeah. like as far as I go, like the Legend of Boggy Creek was like one of my personal favorites, even mm-hmm. though it was never really like a well done movie. And right. uh, even just going into other 80s stuff, like Evil Dead was a huge one that I was like mm-hmm. a big fan Swamp of. Thing. Swamp Thing. Yep, all those yeah. ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in the 80s, I think my favorite 80s movie to this day is The Lost Boys. And mm. I think the reason I love The Lost Boys is because the soundtrack was so stinking good. I bought it three times. I bought it on cassette tape, I bought it on CD, and then I bought it on iTunes. <laughs> Honestly, I'm in the same boat. Back when I was a kid, I had a little Walkman, and I had the I had it on uh, cassette, and then I bought it on CD, and then I ended up mm-hmm. at one point buying it on vinyl because that soundtrack was so good. The Tim Capella, the one where he's doing the saxophone, mm-hmm. like that was probably yeah. one of the hands down the best songs in that movie. <laughs> agreed, agreed. And People Are Strange was good, and uh, Cry Little Sister. You know, it's just the the music was so good, and and all those actors were so classic of our era. Uh, being an '80s kid, I mean, I graduated from high school in '86. I'm ashamed to admit I'm that old, but you know that that was the movie of our generation. That and Top Gun. You know, those were those were the top two movies that I remember from that era. I mean, that was one of the last, like, really, really good vampire flicks as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. because after that, they yeah. kind of started getting too much into, like, the romantic aspect of it, mm-hmm. where they, of yeah. course, had it in that movie because everybody kind of likes that little bit of drama between, like, relationships, but I didn't sure. feel like they went too heavy on it. They they kept pretty good with, like, the vampire lore as far as that goes. Agreed. Agreed. I love that movie. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the Ferris wheel that was in that movie is now in Oklahoma City. Oh, Really? We bought it and we now have it down in our Wheeler district. It's part of our our tourism uh, enhancements that we just recently added down in our Bricktown downtown area. Was it uh, bought because of it being in that movie or was it just because it's like a really cool carousel to begin with? Uh, it was just a, uh, it's a Ferris wheel and it was just, it was, uh, it was, it's really cool, but I think that was part of the, part of the appeal was that it had been in a movie and, you know, there was some notoriety to it to start with. So, uh, so as far as vampires go, I don't know if you really get into like the vampire lore and things like that, mm-hmm. but, uh, um, what, what's kind of like your, your idea of like vampires? Like, do you, do you like the stuff where it more so stays to like the original lore or do you kind of mm-hmm. like where like the writing's going nowadays where they kind of bring in the more like romantic aspect to it? Yeah. I don't like sparkly vampires. <laughs> I, I want them to be the bad guy. I don't want them to be the romantic. I, I never, I never enjoy stories where, where the hero falls for the bad guy so much because he's bad to her and bad to everybody around her. You know, if there's a true love story there, that's, you know, he won't be bad to her. Um, I, I much prefer the, the um, Vlad the Impaler, the original, you know, Nosferatu. To, yeah. Nosferatu and all that. I loved, um, Oh, what was the one with Hugh Jackman in it? Um, it Hugh Jackman. Uh, Van Helsing. Yeah. Van Helsing. Helsing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that one. I thought that was great, but I'm with you. Lost Boys is still my favorite. Oh yeah. Hands down. If I had to pick a favorite vampire movie, that would definitely be it. (laughs) Agreed. So uh, as far as like extraterrestrials go, did you have any like specific movies or anything that kind of got you into like the extraterrestrial aspect or did you have like UFO experiences yourself or anything? I've never had an experience myself, but I've, that's, again, that's another thing that, you know, we started to hear more about that when I was a kid. We lived in northern New Mexico for a while. You know, we weren't exactly close to Area 51, but uh, kind of in the flight pattern. 
um, you know, again, it's just the, the curiosity about the things in our world that we can't explain and, and all the TV shows about it. And of course, now it's it's all over the place. I mean, you, you can't you can't go anywhere at night now without somebody shooting down something. So. <laughs> I was going to say out of any like creature lore, if you want to call it creatures, mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like it's the most believable for the average person just because the universe is so extremely vast. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in all fairness, we thought we were the center of the universe up until, you know, a couple hundred years ago. So Mm -hmm. our understanding of the universe could be completely wrong compared to what the universe could actually be because who knows where our thought patterns might actually be in another 200 years. It's exactly true. And, you know, if you look at, if you look at everything from from the molecular level, you know, we've got all these little atoms that look like solar systems. And then we've got all these little organs that look like body, you know, all everything is kind of starting small and just kind of going up and up and up. And then we get into the planetary side. Then we get into the galactic side. Then we get into the universal side. And it's all the same little circles with little spinny things around them. And it's, you know, if you think about all of it, it's the universe is just basically magnifying itself out and out and out and out. And I think that's just a really fascinating theory. Yeah. That could be like one of those, one of those pictures that kind of infinitely goes out because Mm -hmm. I I frequently wonder too, if when you break down particles to their smallest component, if inside Mm -hmm. of that, there may be another whole theoretical universe and then going out even farther out, we could just be a tiny little atom that's in the cell of something else. That's way bigger in the broader spectrum of the universe. Exactly. And I mean, even going into like alien technology, this is uh, just a weird thing that I've been kind of throwing around lately. Uh, I had somebody who was a researcher who is a couple episodes back for the listeners that are familiar with it, but uh, he was talking about how he's been watching these UFOs flying over this volcano and he'll see this thing where there'll be one of them and it looks more solid and they'll turn into multiples and they'll be kind of translucent. So Mm -hmm. one thing I've kind of been bouncing around lately is if there is a theoretical technology where you could essentially, you have a bunch of particles that are all in concentrated into one area but if you're able to spread that into multiple areas where it's not the same density but the object is mm-hmm. still there um just exp- expanding the idea of like what particles are theoretically capable of and even mm-hmm. just going into the whole things where you see ufos crash into stuff but they don't actually crash because you don't see anything explode back it could be something right. weird with like particle movement where they're able to bounce in a totally different spectrum than like what the actual solid mass is, they might be able to theoretically pass through it, but I like getting into with theories. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And you know, they just had a report come out. They, they ranked the, 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 the States with the most people who believed in UFOs and Oklahoma ranked eight. Eighth. <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm here to make it a number one state. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, at least where you live in Oklahoma, do you have like a ridiculous amount of like UFO sightings or abduction stories or anything exciting like that? The part of the state that I live in, we're centrally located. It's very urban. There's some, you know, we've got one of the largest footprints of any city with all of our little suburbs. So we, I can't say that we see a lot of that here in the metro area. But people don't know in Oklahoma, we actually have a spaceport here. Really? Yeah. So they took an old army or old um, Air Force base, military base of some kind. And that's actually one of the emergency landing spots for the space shuttle. And it's very rural. It's very flat. It's far southwestern Oklahoma. And, you know, if they need to land something big, they've got a spot for it. (laughs) I'm actually curious if anybody's ever seen any weird sightings of anything non-human landing that that location. I'd be curious to know that as well. (laughs) 
Have you uh, looked into any like local abduction stories or anything that have happened in your area? I haven't heard of any myself. Um, you know, most of the time when you hear about the abduction stories, I, like you said, when I was a little kid, I were in New Mexico for a very short period of time. So I remember them from out there, but I don't remember so many of them from here. Well, I always like to dig into the abduction stories. So if you have any interesting ones from that location, that'd be really cool too. I'll send them to you if I find any. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, you know, I remember when I was a little kid, um, we did have a meteorite that that broke up over Oklahoma that we could see. It was like Christmas Eve and it was really cold out. We were just coming home from uh, candlelight services at the church. And my brother and I were convinced that they were coming. They were going to get us and the aliens were here, but it was just a meteorite. <laughs> So, uh, kind of even going back into some of the awesome places that you get to explore, as mm -hmm. far as like your main, your main book series goes, do you have any, uh, new ideas of what's going to be coming in the future or any other like interesting locations that you're going to be checking out in the future to write about in the book other than uh, the yeah, hotel, absolutely. of course. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm currently writing book 12 and I actually kind of put book 12 on hold because I want to kind of see where the next three books go and I may make some changes in the stories, uh, because I've already written the first 11. What are you all um, uh, released up to, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, book five is the last one out, and book six should be out sometime before, um, probably in the spring of this year, probably by May at the latest, um, if everything goes well. I'm, I'm, I'm all about deeps and edit right now, but it's going to happen in Bermuda. Uh, so we're going to get into the Bermuda Triangle. And I actually got to go to Bermuda on my honeymoon. And that was one of those places that when my husband said, well, where do you want to go on your honeymoon? I'm like, I'm going to go somewhere I probably never get to go but somewhere super, super mysterious. I want to, I want to go there. So let's, let's go to Bermuda. So that was like the whole conversation. So we went to Bermuda on our honeymoon. So we thought maybe we might get lost in the Bermuda triangle, but unfortunately we didn't. Um, but we did find out about rum swizzles. Uh, they have a place called the swizzle Inn, and the motto there is swizzle in swagger out <laughs> because the rum swizzles are so strong. And at the time they only sold them by the pitcher. Um, so uh, Bermuda Triangle is coming up in the next book. That's going to be the Pirate's Curse. Uh, so we will not only have the Bermuda Triangle, but we will have some uh, time travel, some mermaids, mm, might have a little Atlantis thrown in for flavor. Uh, it's going to be an exciting adventure. I'll say that. That's uh, really cool uh, that we, you have them written up that far, of course, because I'm assuming yeah. you do that so that if there's anything you need to alter in the other books, you at least got a little bit more leeway. Exactly. It gives me a little bit of time, but, uh, you know, I write really fast. Um, book four was the fastest book I've ever written. I finished it in 23 days. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I had a three day weekend and I had this idea. I kind of knew where I wanted the book to end. I knew how to start it and I knew how to end it. And I just had to write my way to the ending. Um, of course, edits always take a lot longer, but I, w I sat down and I wrote, um, the first, 20,000 words in a three-day weekend, which never happens. I mean, I was just totally inspired on that book. I knew I knew what I wanted, so I knew how to get there. Um, and then I finished the rest of the book within, you know, just a couple of weeks. So um, they don't always come to me that fast, but that one was just totally inspired. And I just, I knew, I knew what had to be in that book. I knew all the places I had to go. Um, I wanted it to be set in Egypt and Prague and Slovenia. And I have a friend in Slovenia, actually little teaser for people who want to see if they can find him. He's in the book. I wrote him into <laughs> it with his permission and let him decide what happened to his character. Um, so, you know, that's a real place and it's a real person and, you know, fictitiously, you know, presented, but um, 
he helped me with, you know, the language and, and the culture and everything that I needed for that part of the book. And, and I think he was pretty pleased to get to be in a book because he thought that was really cool. Um, and, and I just, you know, there's just so many mysterious places in the world. That I don't think I'll ever run out of places to write about. Oh, no. <laughs> it's finding the plots and, you know, making sure that it fits with the character's personality and, you know, what's happening in their family timeline and all that fun stuff. So uh, I heard you make reference to time travel, of course, and I always mm-hmm. like to get into time travel theories just because they're all, always fascinating to me. So mm-hmm. like as far as I kind of see time travel, you see it a lot in like science fiction that somebody will go back in time, they'll do something mm-hmm. and it will alter the future. At least as yeah. far as my belief goes, I feel like if time travel is theoretically possible, then anything that's happened in the past, even if it's somebody going back to the past in the future, it's already happened. And that's the timeline right. that we're on. So it's like as far as your books, like what's kind of like the way you use time travel or like how do you kind of define time travel with like as far as timelines go? Right. It gets into a vicious paradox because you have that whole grandfather paradox thing going on um, and it can be really tricky. So I. In, in the books, we actually see the, the one character goes back to see what another character was doing that they couldn't have possibly seen, but they just want to check on the character, you know, to make sure they, they can get where they need to go. And it, it, it's, you know, it gets crazy. So I, I do quite a bit with time travel in my books. Were any of those inspired by any like actual time travel or like theoretical time travel or time slip stories you've read? Um. I'm going to say yes, but I can't recall specifically which ones because I've got so many of them in there now. Um, you know, I'm really interested in the uh, the super colliders, the science behind those. Because for me, it's, it's all about the science. And then the, the fantastic comes afterwards. We find the science first. So some of the things that go on with a super collider are going to play a big, important role before we finish the series out. So as far as the actual like super collider goes, what's kind of mm-hmm. like your belief on that? Do you think that it's something that they're just exactly how they say exactly how mm-hmm. they're using it? Or do you think that they're potentially trying to figure out how to open black holes or like portals into other places? That. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. one in Kentucky um, that they out and said that they were trying to make contact yes. with other creatures. But I don't, I don't know if they actually ended up ever actually making or finishing that particle collider, but mm-hmm. they're out, in fr- out yeah. front about it. <laughs> Uh, anytime you start smashing atoms, I think anything can happen. And I think it's that unpredictability that opens up so much opportunity for somebody like me to take it and run with it and completely take it to my own fantastical outcome, whatever the case may be. I mean, as far as like that goes too, I feel like that's something that they don't, I mean, they do take it into consideration, but it's Mm -hmm. all theoretical abilities to actually be able to like close a black hole because i feel like no matter how microscopic of a black hole you created it has the potential to expand and how i mean again they probably have theories on how you could close a black hole but they don't know it for sure so it almost freaks me out that they're willing to take that risk even if (laughs) because you never know what could happen (laughs) and remember i have a degree in emergency management i've seen disasters so I think it's going to be a bad thing in my book when we get to that point. (laughs) (laughs) If they haven't already figured it out and they already know how to close the black holes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Because you look into a lot of like the, the events that they did before they actually like started up the particle accelerator. And it was very like ritualistic and kind of, kind of weird, almost like they kind of knew what they were doing or they were trying to open up like a Stargate. Cause I I know you dug into the stuff with Egypt. So I'm sure you know all about like the Stargates. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Big time. You know, Adolf Hitler had a Stargate, so go figure. (laughs) So uh, I guess starting to wrap up here a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. I always like to do words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So is there any words of wisdom that you would like to bestow on the listeners? 
Um, probably one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give, and this this applies to anybody, not just to writers, because I do a lot of um, presentations to writers and, you know, trying to encourage other new writers, because I believe that the, the job of any leader is to create new leaders. So a job of any writer is to create new writers. But but one thing I like to tell people that I think applies no matter what what you want in your life is that you have to do one thing every day that gets you closer to your goals. And sometimes, and I know this is true for me, was sometimes just getting out of your own way is the best thing you can do to help you achieve your goals. And when I put my fear aside, when I stopped worrying about what people thought of my crazy ideas and my crazy stories, that's when success found me. And that's, that's really when, you know, my career as a writer began to take off. And, you know, I've hit a bestseller list three times. I've won book awards. Um, and it was just me getting out of my own way. And that was the number one thing that made me successful. It's one of those things that you're scared that your art form is different than everybody else's. So you're scared to put Mm -hmm. it out there. But at the same time, that's what people catch on to is original ideas and original concepts. So if you're one of those people that's never willing to put your weird, different art out there, then you'll Mm -hmm. never realize how much people will actually pick up on it and enjoy it. Exactly. Exactly. Every, every audience, no matter what you're into, there are other people out there that are just like you who like what you like. And so, you know, for me, I write every day. Um, if I'm not writing, I'm researching. If I'm not researching, I'm editing. If I'm not editing, I'm marketing. If I'm not marketing, I'm visiting with folks on podcasts, which I love to do. I think this is probably my my favorite part of being an author is just to have these conversations like we've had tonight and throw these ideas out and share you know, with the community who's interested in it. So thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for coming on and sharing your ideas. And I really enjoy the way you do your writing. And I like the fact that you deeply research everything and you know what you're doing, especially when you tweak little things. So Mm -hmm. hopefully people that hear that and read the book and say, oh, this isn't exactly how it's supposed to be. will then understand what your your thought and process was that you knew it. It wasn't that you misread the story. You knew full well what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, I like to take it and just run with it. But uh, for anybody that enjoyed the conversation and anybody that wants to come find your books, uh, why don't you let Mm -hmm. them know where they can find your books and where they can come and find you at? All right. Well, the the easiest place to find me is on Instagram. I think that's how you and I connected. Uh, At author Betsy K. I spend a lot of time on Instagram, and that's where I found the paranormal community to be so warm and so welcoming. Um, I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Bakuli, which B-K-O-O-L-I-E. It's just kind of a play on my name. Um, and then I'm on TikTok at author Betsy K. I'm new to TikTok. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing. Um, I'm, I'm finding some, some ways to get some content out there. And then I also have a website, which is author Betsy Kulikowski.com. And, of and course, my books are anywhere you find books. Uh, uh, you can buy them on Barnes and Noble. You can buy them on Amazon, walmart.com, target.com. I mean, anywhere you buy a book, you can find my books out there. That's awesome that your books are a little bit of everywhere. But of course, for anybody that's trying to find them, I'll include all the links down at the bottom so they can find a direct way to come and find them. (laughs) Yeah, my name's not easy. I get it. (laughs) But I really appreciate you making the time to come on. And uh, I'm really looking forward to reading your future books that are coming out. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If any of you guys would like to get a hold of me for any reason, be it being a guest, having a conversation, uh, sponsoring the show, any of that, you can get a hold of me through email, which is inquiries of our reality podcast at outlook.com. Uh, you can also shoot me a message on Instagram. That's the one that I'm the most active on, or 
you can go to the link tree. And up at the top, there's a submission form. Uh, you can fill out the submission form. That'll go directly to my email. But if you do email me or you do the submission form, more often than not, it seems like all of my replies go to spam or junk. And I do respond to every single email that I get. So just keep an eye out in both of those folders and make sure you don't miss a response from me because I'd love to talk to you guys. But everything that I've mentioned, like I said, all available under the link tree. So go and check that out. L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash inquiries of our reality podcast. And with that, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.